Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Creators Radio Show. I'm your host, Adam Homey, and I want to welcome you to another great episode. If you are a business creator, you're in the right place. And our business creators fall into one of four categories. The first category are entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. The second category is marketing and business coaches. The third category are folks who help others build their businesses. This includes web designers, graphic designers, social media strategists, virtual assistants, online business managers, media and publicity experts, anybody who helps others win at the game of business and marketing. And our first, fourth category, of course, are the do-it-yourselfers who run your own businesses and just love having your own hands on the marketing levers. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore our episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us spread the message to help more business creators just like you. Now, today, our topic is going to be about becoming a self-published author with excellence, how to avoid the common missteps that do most writers to diminished rather than increased credibility. In the entrepreneurial world, we publish books, we write books, we author books so that we can grow our thought leadership and our expert profile and be seen as somebody who's credible in your market or your niche. So if you do this the right way, you'll gain that. If you do this the wrong way, you may actually end up sabotaging your efforts. And part of what we're going to do today is we're going to help you avoid that. And our very special guest expert on this topic is Stacy Aronson. And just to tell you a little bit about Stacy, the fulfiller of publishing dreams and founder of The Book Doctor is in. Stacy Aronson is a professional book doctor who takes self-publishing authors by the hand and transforms their manuscripts into the books they've dreamed of, from impeccable editing and proofreading to engaging audience-targeted cover and professional interior design, rivaling or exceeding a traditional house publication. Stacy has been a trusted book production partner for some of the most accomplished coaches, educators, entrepreneurs, and writers of inspirational nonfiction and memoir. She also assists nonfiction writers with developing their ideas into a sound book structure with clear goals. In addition, Stacy writes a monthly newsletter for writers and is the author of the blog, The Self-Publishing Scoop, where she dispenses regular guidance on all aspects of independent publishing. Stacy, do we have you on the line? Yes, hello, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here with us today. This is going to be a great topic, and I know we have a lot to cover, so we're going to be diving right in, in here in just a second. But before we do, let's take a step back and give those of our listeners who may not have heard of you yet a chance to get to know you a little. Just tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today, being the fulfiller of publishing dreams. Sure. Well, my my whole career is actually a complete reinvention. And it's quite serendipitous, actually, because I kind of came out of the womb a lover of books. I started reading when I was three. I sat down to write my first novel when I was eight. Didn't get very far, but I still clearly remember the moment of, you know, thinking I was going to start writing my first book. So I've always loved language, words, books. And uh, for one reason or another, I never pursued, uh, you know, writing or editing as an actual career um, other things just sort of got in the way, as sometimes they do when you're studying. You kind of branch off in a different direction. And so, um, you know, being a grammar nerd all my life and always writing and editing and those kinds of things on the side, I, I helped people out doing that all the time, but never as an actual career. Um, right. And over time, I just continued to hone those skills by, you know, taking workshops and reading books and just having a real interest in all of those things and also doing lots and lots of writing in college and things like that. But um, basically what happened was um, about 10 years ago, I became a graphic designer and started a greeting card business with my girlfriend, and that was also a side job. So I kind of had the writing and editing in my background, um, you know, just sort of that instinct and passion for those things that I was born with, like some people are born with artistic talent or other things. And then I sort of honed this graphic design skill. But again, it was a side thing. Um, in 2010, I'd been working for my company in a pretty, pretty um, high-level leadership position for nine years, and 
you know, the economic downturn really took a toll on them, and they basically couldn't afford me anymore. And so what happened was they offered to let me stay on at a reduced uh, pay rate if I wanted to pursue another job and still stay there. So that was very right. nice. I took that offer. Um, this was a very difficult time for finding a job. So um, I actually went a whole year uh, doing everything in, in my power to find another great leadership role and just couldn't get one. And that was really what was the catalyst for thinking outside the box and thinking, right. you know, I have all of these skills. Um, I've really honed them over time. I've just never applied them, you know, as an actual job. But basically what happened in a nutshell is I'm very involved with authors' events here in Southern California. I know a lot of authors. And one of the authors I knew uh, came to me and said, hey, you know, I'm publishing this ebook. It was a prior print book, and I'm, I have the rights to do the ebook. Do you know anyone who could design a cover for me? And I said, oh, my gosh, I would love the opportunity to do that. And so long story short, I designed the cover for him. He fell in love with it. And I realized that there were lots of authors out there with e-books, you know, becoming all the rage, who were able to produce e-books of their old print books um, because they have the rights to do that, but they did not have the rights to their cover art from their original book, from their traditional publisher. So they were having to commission artists to create uh, book covers. And I immediately thought, oh, my goodness, this might be my reinvention career because I love books and I'm a designer. And so I kind of jumped into studying all about book design, what are all the nuances and strategies and all of that. And um, that client led to him referring me to another client. And that particular client actually was interested in having me do her entire book, which, of course, I'd never done before either. But um, as a team, we agreed that it would be my, my first book, um, again, jumped into learning all about the technicalities and, and all the things involved in industry standards with uh, interior book layout, and uh, got to do my first book. And that's really when everything kind of came together because self-publishing was brand new at the time. Uh, we published with CreateSpace when they didn't even have 24-7 customer service yet. Right. They were really brand new. And uh, so I got to learn all about the publishing platform and how it worked. And I just continued to read and learn and absorb everything because that's just the way I am. Uh, because I realized, oh, my gosh, that whole year that had really brought me down when I wasn't able to find another job. And I had such a, a long history of great career experience and education and all of that was really, um, in hindsight, at that point I realized because I wouldn't have been pushed outside of, what I was used to doing, and that there was this brand new career that could have never existed years before that that had become open to me. And it was such a perfect marriage of all my skills and passions, my leadership skills that I had honed over the years um, were wonderful for working one-on-one -on -one with people, which is what I always loved the most anyway, was being a very nurturing uh, type of leader. And so um, all of those things came together into being a, a book production professional. And I've been so blessed to have, you know, that client refer another client, refer another client, you know, how that works and when referrals come your way and they're based on the trust of the prior client and the work that you've done. And, and I just continue to hone the business over the last three years. I've learned a ton and um, produced some really beautiful books for incredible people I'm so proud of. And so that is, uh, you know, how uh, a born grammar nerd and book lover <laughs> – goes off in another direction for many, many years and circles back in a reinvention career and actually becomes someone who produces books. And so it's been incredibly serendipitous for me, and it's a career I absolutely love. That's absolutely awesome, and thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think that a lot of folks who are listening who have made the transition from the corporate world or the paycheck world to the entrepreneur world who have started their own businesses do have that journey. I have a little bit of that journey myself where I had a day job and then I was doing my business on the side and then I went through the process of lining up the clients and getting the money together and everything else. That's a pretty normal journey. And what a lot of people find as they go through that journey is sometimes through a process of elimination, sometimes just by clearly identifying what gets them out of bed in the morning, they find their passion that helps them combine with their business savvy and their marketing skill become successful at what they do. Now, here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, the techniques, and the strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. 
A lot of our listeners tell me they have everything that they could possibly need to implement any strategy or any recommendation that any of our guest experts share, except for time and money. Now, this is a question we ask every expert who appears on our show, not only because we get such a variety of different responses, but also because we get such a variety of interpretations of the question. So I'd like to ask, how do time and money possibly get in the way or help when it comes to becoming a self-published author? Oh, that is a great question, and I certainly want to be encouraging and not discouraging. But here's the thing. Creating a book that will ultimately enhance your professional reputation, you know, increase your credibility, fulfill the needs and goals of your readers, and ultimately be a gift to the literary community, um, it, it does require a degree of commitment, both in time and money. So, again, while I certainly don't want to discourage any aspiring authors out there who are short on time and money, um, I do want to be the devil's advocate just for a moment. So if I said... Raise your hand if you want to write a substandard book that will disappoint readers, diminish your credibility, garner negative reviews, and be forever stuck on Amazon. How many would raise their hands? Probably none, right? Of course. Right. Um, Yet those are the exact goals that many writers are fulfilling without wanting to um, by thinking a book should be fast, easy, or cheap to write and produce. Now, having said that, What I want to say is, yes, it does take time to put together a book that is actually going to deliver benefits to your reader. So if you are looking at doing a print book, it is going to take some time and some investment. And um, in a second, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that. But also, if you are a business owner and you're trying to reach out to your audience, you're trying to maybe um, boost your credibility, um, give out some great information, you can certainly... Uh, create a beautiful downloadable PDF that that can deliver real benefits to your audience that doesn't have to be a huge expense. And, um, you know, you definitely want to hire an editor, and we'll we'll talk more about that later because every little typo is a nick on your reputation and you don't want that. So don't think that you should just, you know, rush through in a day compiling some PDF and then throwing it up on your website. That's not the point. Um, as you said when you were introducing me and talking earlier, is that you know if you do it wrong, you're really going to be a detriment to yourself. You don't want to harm the reputation of your company, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a business. You want people to see you as reputable. Uh, you certainly don't want to put out some document that's going to make people go, oh, my gosh, if this PDF is this bad, how do they run their business? Because that's exactly what human nature does. We see one poor example of something, and we connect it to everything else that person does. So what's important to say about your question is that, you know, time, I know, I am very busy, and I work a lot of hours a day, and when I, I have written a novel, it's not published yet, but, um, but when I was writing my novel, I had to get up a little earlier, or stay up a little later, or carve out time for myself that was dedicated to writing. So, like, instead of watching that hour of television, which I still love to do, um, I would I would say, okay, I need to be committed to my writing time. And this is something that any entrepreneur could do. I mean, even if, if you have children, I know that complicates things because your schedule is probably much more crazy. But even if it's an extra, like, half an hour at night or an extra half hour in the morning, if you're just giving yourself dedicated writing time every day or at least six days a week. That's how every writer writes a great book. And even if it's going to be a downloadable PDF that's 20 pages, if you give yourself that dedicated time every day or almost every day, you will within, you know, not too long a period of time come up with something great and then, you know, hire a professional editor to make sure it's clean um, if you have some design skills to make it look a little nicer, you could certainly do that. But um, but there there are ways that you can produce a book, maybe not a print book, but either an ebook or a, a nice downloadable PDF. That right. can be the first step for you to start bridging a certain gap between you and your audience. And then later, when you start making more money and you have the budget. You can either turn that book into a print book if it's long enough, or you can expand on it and turn it into a print book. So 
Um, it's not impossible if you are really short on time and money, but I do want to make it clear that anything worth doing well, <laughs> um, such as producing an, an actual print book, is going to demand some time and, and money. And so it is something that you want to think about if that is a goal you have. Right. Now, those are all very good points. And as we move into the topic here, I guess the first thing I want to do is I want to draw a few contrasts to help create a foundation for what we're going to cover here. And the first question I want to ask you, Stacey, is in your expert opinion, how is self-publishing different from what it was even three years ago? Well, back in the day, <laughs> which, you know, a long time ago all the way up to just a few years ago, uh, there was a platform called Vanity Publishing, and right. a lot of people have heard of that. And of course, the word vanity alone makes you go, "Oh, it, it sounds like I'm doing it all for myself. It's a completely ego-driven thing to do." Um, and basically, what Vanity Publishing always was was if you couldn't get your book published traditionally, um, there would be these vanity presses where you could, um, you know, pay not necessarily that press, although sometimes they would offer certain certain uh, services like maybe editing or book design, but you would pay for all of that yourself. You would submit your manuscript to this vanity publisher. They, they're not vetting your manuscript. They're not actually approving it or anything like that. They're just right. printing it. And to print it, uh, they required you to purchase sometimes as many as 10,000 copies of that book. Now imagine if you cut corners anywhere in the process of production, editing, design, anything, and you've now sunk thousands of dollars into thousands of copies of your book, and you find a typo or something, God forbid, you're stuck with all of those books. Yes. Now, I, <laughs> I still know authors who, who did that uh, many years ago just because they finally wanted to see their book in their hands, and, and understandably so. When you get rejected and rejected, it doesn't always mean your book is bad. Um, it just means maybe the timing is, isn't right or it's not what that particular editor or slush pile person is looking for for the publishing house at that moment. And so um, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but that investment was huge. And so then the author was kind of left to schlep around these copies, you know, to book talks at libraries or wherever they could try to sell them. Um, and it just really wasn't the most, uh, effective model for, for getting a book out and for being able to distribute it. There was really no distribution through the vanity presses. Well, a few years ago, uh, print on demand really came in. I don't know exactly when it started, but, um, but print on demand really changed the game for self-publishing. And, and the reason is because print on demand is exactly what it sounds like. If, if you listening, if you're not sure what it is, basically means that as someone orders your book, your book is printed, fulfilled, and shipped to that customer. So there is no garage full of books where you're, <laughs> you're shipping them off on your own. Um, platforms like CreateSpace, for one example, that is affiliated with Amazon or Ingram, which is the largest book distributor in the world, also has a self-publishing division now. Um, they actually print your books as a one-off and they have distribution services, and they, they fulfill and ship orders for your customers. So what's nice is that you're not, you're not making the huge investment in, in inventory. You are making the investment still in all of the production of your book, but you're not stuck with all those copies. So um, not only do you have the luxury of not making you know, that extra investment, but also you have the luxury of distribution on your behalf. And it's very inexpensive, which is great. And so the new self-publishing model has really opened the doors for all kinds of people who've been dying to, be, to become authors, great opportunities. The problem is because the door is open to everybody, there are substandard books just flowing into the marketplace because so many authors don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And so that's where I come in, and that's why I love doing interviews like this so that I can give as much great guidance to aspiring authors as I possibly can. So anyway, those are really uh, the differences between what Vanity Publishing was, and, and it's still around, but I, I don't think anybody would use it anymore, and what the new self-publishing platforms offer. Right, right. And I think that that 
gives us a pretty good history and it shows us where things are going here. Now, another thing I'd like to make sure that we have a very clear understanding of, because another thing we hear out there a lot is DIY publishing. And you talk about vanity publishing and the idea that basically you hand over a manuscript and there's very limited quality control and you can find yourself with all kinds of typos and all kinds of things that could have been improved with just a little bit of editing or a little bit of oversight. Now, when you hear about do-it-yourself publishing, basically that means, I think, somebody just sets up their own publishing company, their own publishing mechanism, and publishes their own books. So what is the difference between DIY and self-publishing? What I would say about that is I think a lot of people just assume that because the word self is in self-publishing, that it means I'm supposed to do it all myself. And that's really the misnomer. Because let's, let's look at this objectively and, and think about it. When you're writing a book, First of all, many people who write books are not trained writers. They're not professional writers. They may be business people or professionals or prolific bloggers or, you know, those kinds of things. And so, but they have great content. They have a great story to tell. They have great recipes to share. They have great advice to give, you know, whatever it might be. And so they're coming into it um, writing the book. But obviously, they're not trained as a cover designer, as a professional layout artist, as a professional editor, um, and they're not supposed to be. Um, those are all skills that people train for, become professionals in, and typically, you know, a writer is not going to have all of those skills. And so, when you think about DIY, those are the kinds of books where someone says, oh, I'm going to self-publish. Okay, well, I'm going to write this book. And I have a decent grasp of grammar, and I know what I want to share with everybody, so I'm just going to edit myself. And I'm not going to have anybody else edit it, or I'm going to just have a few friends look at it. And these friends, of course, are not necessarily good in grammar, mechanics, in fact, any of those things that have to do with copy editing or even developmental editing when we're talking about structure and flow and, you know, all these kinds of things. So, um and then somebody says, oh, and I'll just open up a Word document and I'll just lay out my book, which Word is not conducive to book design. So lots of weird things happen and it looks very, very substandard. Um, same thing with, with cover design. You can't just plop an image into a cover with some type and then, boom, you have a great book cover. So when you see a DIY book, you can really tell because professionals who are trained in all these areas of book production are not involved in the process. Now, when you self-publish and you want to self-publish with excellence, which is what everybody's goal should be, in my opinion, I don't right. think publishing a book any other way, um, that's when you have to look at it as self-publishing means I am in charge of this book's production. I'm at the helm like a publisher would be. And, and I tell writers all the time, and I've written articles on this topic, is you really have to switch from the mindset of a writer to the mindset of a publisher. And as soon as you do that, it really helps you see the direction everything needs to go. So, for example, would Random House say, you know, we're just going to skip that professional interior layout artist, and we're not going to have a professional do the cover, and we're just going to have a few interns go over it for editing, and then we're going to publish it. You know, of course they would never do that. Their reputation's on the line. They want the best for the author. And you need to think about that as an author for yourself as well. So what happens is when you're wearing a publisher's hat, you have to be thinking about the people you need to hire, um, whether you know, you're hiring a developmental editor separate from a copy editor. Now, I happen to do both, but not every editor does. So that's something to think about. We can talk more about that. Um, you know, a layout artist, a cover designer, a proofreader. Um, these are people you need on your team. And when you have those people in place the way a big or even a small publishing house does, then you're going to be self-publishing a book of true excellence, one that's going to rival or exceed a traditional house. And that's what you want to be doing. So just as a recap, when you see the word self, it doesn't mean do it all myself. It means oversee the project myself, wearing the publisher's hat, and ensuring that every professional that needs to be on my team to make this book the best it can be from cover to cover is in place. Right, right. Now what I want to do here and the time we have together, and this has been such a great experience so far, and I'm really looking forward to some of the specifics, and this is going to be awesome, is – what are some of the biggest mistakes writers make before they start writing? I'd like to cover this for just a few minutes so we can understand what's wrong so we can begin to see what's right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are actually several things that a lot of people do. And again, it's because as writers, we tend to come from an ego place. We're excited about becoming published. We're excited that the doors are open in, in self-publishing the way they are. We want to put author next to our name on social media. We want to have author of with our book title under our name and email. You know, there are lots of reasons why it's exciting from an ego place to publish a book. Um, and so, unfortunately, that drives a lot of mistakes. Now, one of the, the mistakes I want to chat about really quick is, is that a lot of people just jump into writing a book because they know something about the topic. And they're not thinking about the fact that there may be many other books already written on the topic and, you know, how is yours going to be distinct? Um, so if you just jump in and start writing, you can very easily find out, oh, my gosh, somebody already wrote pretty much what I wrote, and they actually did a better job than I did. So, so jumping in without doing any market research, really looking at what else is out there, is a huge mistake. Um, another one is not approaching writing as an art and a craft that you do hone over time. You know, there's, there's the act of writing, putting a, a pen to paper, but then there's actually the craft of writing that we study, we, you know, reading books, going to workshops, things like that. We do those things as writers. Now, it's not absolutely necessary, but it certainly helps to have some sense of writing as a craft. Um, now, if you have not a whole lot of skill as a writer in that regard, then having an excellent editor will save you. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> um, I just kind of want to throw, throw something out there so that people don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not a writer and I can't do this. I actually know um, an incredible novelist. Uh, he's actually won awards. He's a mystery writer. He writes excellent books. But he can't spell and he has no grasp of grammar and punctuation. And he admits it, freely admits it. He says, I am a terrible writer. I'm a great storyteller. <laughs> I'm a terrible writer when it comes to mechanics. And so, you know, he says, my editor completely saves every book I write. I give the worst mechanics in the story to the editor, but the story is there. And she helps make it polished and, and perfect in, in, in regards to mechanics. And so, you know, when you have a great editor on your team, you can certainly produce an excellent book, even if you're not a great writer. And this, as I said, is an award-winning author. So I just wanted to throw that out there for encouragement. Right. And I, and I, and I really appreciate that. That's really awesome. And uh, why do you think writers are so overwhelmed by our publishing climate today? And just looking at it myself, I mean, you're one of seven people I know who does the same thing substantially that you do. And I'm aware of probably about 20 or 30 self-publishing companies out there. So I think part of what we have going on is there's such a plethora of options. What do we do to help identify what's the best one for our business that will help us properly self-publish? Um, well, I'm sorry. Could you could you just repeat the last part of the question? I, I got sorry. Yeah, but yeah, ba yeah basically – yeah, basically, you know, why are most writers so overwhelmed in this publishing climate? And uh, and another thing that I know some of our listeners are interested in is how do we sort through and find, you know, through all these different options, and uh, and how do we find one that works best for our business? Like, what's the criteria? Well, to answer the first question, I find that most writers are overwhelmed by pretty much everything when it comes to self-publishing. I've worked with a lot of PhDs and MBAs and very successful business people. Um, they're all very intelligent and run great businesses, and they still say, oh, my goodness, I want someone to just take me by the hand and do a lot of this for me. I don't want to figure all this out. I don't want to sift through predatory self-publishing companies. I don't want to figure out these platforms. Right. I need somebody to just help me out. And so um, – you know, one of the things that makes me happy to be able to offer such a comprehensive partnership is because people are so overwhelmed by all the different segments. And how do I find, you know, professionals and how do I find the right platforms that are going to work for me and all of that? Um, and so what I would say is, you know, one of the things to really make sure you avoid is, is the predatory self-publishing, I'll call them, quote, companies, because they're not really companies, but um, who are out there kind of trolling, putting lots of ads out there, really looking for writers who are overwhelmed 
and who just want some package deal that they can buy into and everything can be done for them. And so can I, can I share a little bit about that? Is this a good place to do that? That would be great. Please do. Okay. Um, basically what's happening is a lot of the larger publishing houses like Random House Penguin, Simon & Schuster, um, even Hay House, they're creating these self-publishing, quote, divisions of the publishing company, which really aren't tied to the big publishing company, even though they're sort of under the umbrella and their name is on the company. And what's happened is that the bigger publishing companies are seeing how many authors they're losing to self-publishing. And so they've kind of jumped on the bandwagon of offering self-publishing packages. So there's, you know, authors are out there, they're, they're paying for all of their own services. So we might as well make some money if they'll, if they'll pay us instead of, you know, we pay to have the book produced and take our chances. We open up a self-publishing division, we put the big publishing house's name over it, and it sounds really good to the aspiring author who wants to, you know, fulfill a dream. The problem is that they're really not so much affiliated with that big publishing house. That, that publishing house is never going to be on your book. Um, right. And pretty much all of the editors they employ are overseas. English is not even the first language. Um, there are just absolute horror stories coming out of these so-called self-publishing companies. And I call them predatory because they really are. They're, they're all about making money, and they're preying on the dreams of aspiring authors, which absolutely breaks my heart. So I do want to throw that out there to be careful. They look really good on the screen when you're looking on the website, and they say things like, hey, you know, you might have a chance to get a contract with the big self-publishing house, or we're going to do all this marketing for you when you buy this package. And, and those things don't happen. They just simply don't. And so it's really important for people to, to know that. And so, um, in fact, I have a, a couple of blog posts that address, you know, red flags to heed um, if you're searching for independent contractors, um, you know, things that you should be looking for, questions you should be asking because you really want to make sure that you feel a sense of trust and confidence in the person or the team who's bringing your book to fruition. So, um, you know, avoiding the predatory ones is very important, and then knowing what questions to ask and really being clear on your needs is also very important. Right, 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 right. So uh, wh why are professional editing and design such important elements of the self self-publishing process because now what I want to do is I want to shift a little bit and start giving people a little bit of a foundation to help them understand what they need to do to effectively self-publish. We've looked at some of the bad and the ugly. Now I want to start moving a little bit more towards the good. And you know, let's talk about a little bit about professional editing and design because, Stacey, as you've pointed out several times, failure to pay attention to professional editing and design can cost you credibility. And depending on how you self-publish or what mechanism you use to get your book out there, the quality may or may not be there in terms of quality control. Exactly, because unfortunately there is no regulation on independent publishing. So you don't have that, you know, big house name to be checking everything. That really, as I said, it, it falls under you when you become effectively a publisher, when you self-publish. So... Um, you know, editing is such a huge investment in a book because there are so many facets to it, and there are so many reasons why it's really important. But um, to, to be succinct about it, basically you can self-edit, um, you know, over and over and over, and if you have any kind of good writing skills, you know, you'll catch things. You'll catch punctuation you missed or capitalization you missed or, you know, where you use the same vocabulary word twice, you know, in two sentences. Right. Things like that, you'll start to notice it. Um, and you can certainly engage a group of beta readers, whether they're friends or colleagues in your niche market, you know, people who would ha actually have valuable feedback for you. Um, you know, no problem with that. The thing to remember, though, is these people are not professional editors. You know, we are trained in all kinds of things. So we're, we're looking developmentally, for example, at structure. Um, is, is every chapter meeting the goal it's supposed to meet? If you are telling stories, are they within an appropriate context to really help deliver a benefit? 
to the reader. Um, you know, we're looking at everything from mechanics to flow to how tight the writing is to varied vocabulary to eliminating repetition and you know all those things that we're that we're looking at as editors. You are just simply too close to the material to see. I mean, you've read and read and read your material over and over again so many times that you're just not seeing these things. And and just to kind of drive the point home, you know, I actually am a professional editor and and I'm also a writer. And so I understand both sides of the coin. Um but as as a novelist, I would never I would never edit my own novel. And yes, right. I self edit. Yes, I go over and over and, and look for things that, that don't work. But I hired a professional fiction editor, um, you know, early in the stages of writing after I'd done about three rewrites because I knew that there were things developmentally that I just wasn't going to be able to see. And it, and it is not saying that you're not a good writer or you're not good at what you do. It just, it, it just is what it is. And it's the nature of writing that we just don't see things that are very close to us. And so having a professional really helps all that fine-tuning and polishing and things that are sticking out that don't belong there and things that need to be filled out that are missing um, and, you know, all the mechanical things that need to be in place with regard to punctuation and syntax and grammar and all of that so that you don't have these glaring, ugly typos that take someone out of your book immediately once they get to that spot. So um, it is really important to have those fresh professional eyes on your book, and ideally that editor is going to work with you in a partnership. It's going to be a collaborative effort. So if something doesn't gel with you, um, you know, you should be able to talk to your editor about it, and he or she should be able to explain, you know, why this works better. Um, ultimately, writing and editing are, have a huge degree of subjectivity, and that's what makes it a little difficult. No two editors are going to edit the same paragraph the exact same way, which can be kind of frustrating for writers, but ultimately, um, you know, a good editor is going to have great feedback, is going to be able to fine-tune and polish your work so that it delivers exactly what you're trying to deliver to your audience, which is, you know, great benefits when you're talking about nonfiction and, you know, entertainment when you're talking about fiction. Um, and right. And certainly great engagement no matter what, what genre you write in. Um, and then with design, um, the important thing to, to think about is, you know, think about if you build a house and you landscape the whole front yard beautifully and it's painted and you have the most beautiful outside fixtures. And, you know, the first impression is going to be, wow, this house must be beautiful on the inside too. And then they walk in and it looks like, you know, something out of the Beverly Hillbillies or something where you've got, you know, just, just no design effort whatsoever. Um, you know, that is going to be a real disappointment to the person who walks into that house. Vice versa, right. if the outside of the house is looking shabby and, uh, you know, there's no grass, the paint is peeling, you know, what is the first impression? The person who walks by is going to assume that the interior looks just as bad. Well, the same thing is true for a book. So if you spend uh, a lot of money on editing and yay for you for, for making a, a sound investment in that, so your content is shining but you wrap it in a substandard cover and a substandard interior presentation, no one is going to assume that the writing itself is actually good. They're going to automatically assume that it's not. Because if you're going to cut corners here and here, you must have cut corners on the writing and editing, right? This is just human nature. And yep. the same thing is true if you have, you know, a, a beautiful cover, or I'm sorry, if you have a, a terrible cover, or, I'm sorry, a beautiful cover, I was right the first time, a beautiful cover and a, a lovely layout, but you did not invest in editing. So people get all excited, and then they end up disappointed because they're tripping over typos, and they're they're thinking, oh, my gosh, it, it looks really nice, but it doesn't really have what it says it's going to deliver based on the title and based on the marketing material and all of that. So it's really important to have both. Um, you don't want to cut corners on either one. And uh, you'll find that if you do dedicate yourself, dedicate that budget, that time to all the aspects, you will have a book you'll be incredibly proud of. And that's what every author should want. Right. What kind of budget should self-publishers expect to invest in their book? We're going a little bit back to the whole time and money thing. And I know a number of folks who really just can't seem to quite get started because – 
they dread how much that could possibly cost. And then they sometimes equate horror stories, well, what happens if I order 1,000 copies and I only sell 10? Yes. Well, one great thing is is you don't have to order 1,000 copies ever. I mean, that is a choice that you can make as an author. Once you self-publish, your book is available at cost in any quantity you wish. So if you want to order 10 books and go to a small book signing and you only sell three, well, you don't have 997 books sitting in your car. Right. So that's one great thing. Um, you can certainly invest in as many copies as you think makes sense for you at any time, but it's not a necessity. Um, yes, uh, producing a print book, and again, these figures are really looking at a print book because uh, most of the people I talk to are very interested in having a print book. They're either trying to hone or expand their speaking skills or speaking engagement. They want to have a book to sell. And an ebook is great, and, and ebooks are certainly a huge part of it, and I recommend having a print and an ebook of every title you produce. But when you are speaking and there's a table, you're not selling an ebook off that table. You know, you're selling a print book. People like to right. hold books in their hands still, even though <laughs> ebooks are all the rage. We're still selling print books, and I think we always will. Um, so, yes, it is an investment, absolutely. Um, let me just break it down quickly for you with some averages. And these are based on books that I've done, books that I know other people have done with other professionals, and so the, the, the uh, listener can have an idea. And, and yes, I know that these numbers might seem really big, um, but these are the kinds of numbers that professional or traditional houses are putting into every book they produce. They're, they are investing thousands of dollars. It's just you don't get an invoice for that. This is why they give you a very low advance because they're taking a huge risk. And you too, you're taking a risk and you're putting your own money in. So I want to just preface by saying that, that a lot of people don't realize that big publishing houses are investing thousands of dollars in your book. You just don't see those numbers. And right. that's why advances are very low and royalties are very low. The great thing about self-publishing is royalties are quite high. So the fewer books you sell, you know, you're making more money if you sell fewer books than a traditional house. So with that being said, um, what I toss out there is really um, these are the kinds of numbers you want to be thinking about for average length books. Now obviously books vary a lot. So there might be a 400-page novel and a 100-page short story or a 50-page short story, or um, you know, a very long nonfiction book or a very academic book as opposed to a memoir. So there are a lot of variations. So what I would say for editing is you want to think about usually anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000, which I know sounds like a lot, but again, there are lots of passes through the material for different reasons. There's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of time usually spent together. So it just depends on the level of your writing how much editing it needs, how much development your book needs, and how much time ultimately it's going to take, and then, of course, how long your book is and what the material is. Um, and that has, you know, has a lot to do with that price tag. Um, for a cover, um, with my clients, typically a front cover is anywhere from maybe 180 to 500 for us just for a front cover. Um, when we're doing full covers, which I do pretty much with everybody, because I pretty much only do print books, is anywhere from 300 to 600 plus. You know, really depends how many concepts you want, how how intricate your cover design is, and, and really it's mostly about how many concepts you're having the designer do. Um, I work on an hourly rate. Some work on a flat rate uh, basis, so you may be paying a flat rate over and over for multiple covers. So it really just depends on the designer. Um, for interiors, um, usually anywhere between 600 all the way up to like 1,500 plus if you're dealing with a longer nonfiction book with lots of images, charts, graphs, bullets, call-out boxes, you know, all those kinds of technicalities. Those obviously take, obviously take much more time to lay out and get everything just right. You know, things don't just lay out perfectly the way you want. You have to fudge around with spacing and raise a magic wand a lot as a, as a layout artist. So, those are the kind of numbers for interiors. And then you don't want to overlook proofreading because that's a huge, important, important last phase uh, before publication. And proofreading really ranges a lot. I, for example, charge $2 per 250 words. Some proofreaders I know charge $30 an hour, $40 an hour. Some are by the page. 
Um, it just really depends. So I would say to think about like 175 to 500 is a good range. Of course, that depends on how many words your book is. Um, and that would be for nonfiction. For fiction, probably more like 500 to 800 based on those kinds of rates uh, because fiction, if it's you know, a full-length novel, would, would have obviously a lot more words. So in, in total, um, I always tell people to think about a range, and I know it's a big range, but again, books vary a lot, is between 3,000 and 6,000 with like 4,000 to 5,500 really right. being typical, kind of that sweet spot of where most full-length books, again, depending on length, depending on level of editing, depending on complexity, um, the kind of investment you're going to be looking at making. And the publishing itself is very, very minimal. Uh, it, it's really not much of a consideration at all. So really it's much more about paying the professionals who are bringing your book to fruition. And then the publishing platform, CreateSpace is actually free, and Ingram is under $100. So that part of it is quite minimal. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's really great information. I think you gave us a lot of awesome specifics that are really going to help our business creators here. And time is really flying, knowing we're already three-fourths <laughs> of the way through here, and I still want to get some more great information for our listeners. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of reel back a little bit. Now that you've shown us some specific numbers and you've shown us some of the things we need to think about in terms of budget and uh, you know why professional editing and design are so important and why we particularly need to pay attention to those things, especially since we, may, we mainly need to rely on ourselves for quality control if we want to protect our reputations. Uh, now that you've laid all this on the line and we're starting to build a criteria, could you tell us what some of the red flags are that writers should heed when they seek out independent publishing professionals such as editors and designers? And what should the writers look out for when seeking publishing solutions, such as the predatory self-publication companies? So now that we know what to look for, now let's look for the red flags. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I did touch on the, the predatory self-pub companies a, a little bit earlier, just kind of looking at those, those all-in-one packages where, you know, right. the editors don't even live in the United States and things like that. So hopefully... Um, people who are listening were able to jot down notes on that. But if you're looking for right. independence, um, first of all, you know, as you know, being an entrepreneur and talking to so many entrepreneurs, it's really important to have a website. If you have a business and you're offering any kind of professional service, you need to have a website. So if someone doesn't have a website or they have a really poor website, um, I don't like to judge people on a, on a website, but I know it happens a lot. They should at least outline their services. Um, I think it's, it's good to have fees on a website. Some authors or some professionals don't like to do that. So it really depends on you as the writer what is important to you. So if you go to the website and you don't really see much about what they provide, um, let's, we'll just talk about editors for right now, um, you don't really see any, you know, evidence that they have testimonials. They don't have any editing samples they offer. They don't really have any robust content to talk about what they're doing for you. Um, then that's certainly a red flag. Um, and, you know, the thing that's tough about editors, too, that I really want to make a point about is we are all experts in different areas, just like just like business people are, they're, they're, you know, there may be a business person who's really great at marketing but not great at another aspect of business. Well, editors are the same way. Um, we bring a lot of you know, personal experience to the table. We bring professional experience to the table. And there are going to be certain genres that, for example, I'm just not suited for. Um, right. So I, I will not, for example, um, you know, I tend to stay away from, from books that have to do with politics kind of tend to stay away from religion unless I feel some sort of appropriate connection where I can actually lend myself well. Um, you know, I wouldn't try to edit, uh, you know, a really technical book on engineering because I know nothing about that topic. So you want to make sure that there is a connection with your material, that the, that the person has either some sort of educational background, professional experience, maybe personal experience, or has worked on other books in your genre. That's super important. If they haven't, then that's right there, not the best. It doesn't mean the editor is bad, but it just means that connection is not there and the editor is not really going to give his or her best to your material, and that, that's not what you want. So 
it's, you know, in a way it's a red flag, but at the same time it's really just a way for you to siphon out who is going to be a good partner for you for your particular content. So you want to really think about that. Um, when somebody refers an editor to you, um, make sure that just because they're a referral, that you don't just assume that that person is going to be best for your content. Quick story, I had a, a client who had been given a referral of an editor by another writer, actually a poet she knew. And she hired that person. She spent $2,000, which was competitive for the length of her book. And then it came to me as, uh, as the cover interior designer and the proofreader. What I found was hundreds, hundreds of mistakes grammar, punctuation, re repetition of words, and all kinds of things. Now, the book itself was beautiful and wonderful, but the editor did not really do her job. And the author really didn't know because she didn't have the best grasp of grammar and <laughs> punctuation and all of that. So she thought she right. paid all this money and had great work done. And so just be aware that when you're asking questions, you really want to be sure what that editor's background is so that there is the right kind of connection. With your work. If they don't, if they won't show you any editing samples, that is a red flag. If they have no testimonials, or if they're not willing to let you connect with any of their previous clients, to me that is a definite red flag. Um, if they can't tell you what style reference they use, that's a red flag. Every editor with her salt is going to know exactly what style references she uses or the one you know name. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not that type of grammar Nazi or anything like that, but I do know that there are different styles that that, that render certain types of things either correct or incorrect. Uh, I mean, like for instance, remember we were taught in school that you're never supposed to end a sentence in a preposition. Right. Well, I had well, I had a language expert, uh, somebody who specializes in effective and proper communication, a gentleman, a friend of mine by the name of Al Borowski, who some people may have heard of, and I sat in his seminar where he held up the roles from one of these standards where it specifically and explicitly says there is no law that says that you cannot end a sentence with a preposition. In other words, according to this style, go ahead, end it with a preposition. There's nobody saying you can't. But then there may be another style out there, and this is something you may know more about than I do, that'll say, don't you dare end a word with a preposition. It'll make you look like a fool. You know, it really depends on the voice and the tone of the book. If it's very right. functional, you don't want to get too formal. Now, typically when you're, when you're writing something formal, if you're writing an article, you're writing a book, you want to reword something. So you say, you know, um, you would say, um, this is the person I gave it to, or this is to the person to whom I gave it. You know, to whom I gave it is not really what we would say in casual conversation, but in a book uh, with that kind of tone, it's much more appropriate. So it just really depends on the tone of your book. If it's very casual conversation style, then, you know, yes, it, it's, not the, uh, it's not the golden standard, but for, for certain books and, and certain articles and things, it works. So, yes, um, that's what I was saying. There's so much subjectivity. But, for example, I use the Chicago Manual of Style, which pretty much every book editor does. But then there's also the AP style, which is what journalists and magazine editors use. And so, you know, there, there are specific differences in capitalization and punctuation, things that are going to be different. So, you know, if you ask a prospective editor, what style guide she uses, and she doesn't know what you're talking about, <laughs> that's a red flag for sure. Yeah, that's a clue. <laughs> that is a clue. Um, and you definitely want to ask what the process is. How do they work with authors? What is the timeline? What is the communication going to be like? How much material do they give you back? Or do they take your manuscript and then see you in a couple months? Do they give you a chapter at a time? You know, you really want to want to know how that uh, editor is going to work with you as a collaborator and a partner. And ultimately, you always want to have a phone conversation. Um, I know there are people who aren't comfortable being on the phone. They don't like doing that. But, but quite frankly, for me, the phone conversation, the phone consult I do with any prospective client is so important because it lets us know if we're in harmony with each other. It lets the person hear my voice. Do they trust me? Am I sincere? Can I talk about what I do with credibility? 
um, you know, you need to be able to feel that trust and confidence over the phone with someone. If someone's hemming and hawing about what they do and they're not really sure about this and that, I mean, you, you might be wondering, well, are they really professional <laughs> what they do? Right. So, you know, you really, you really want to know that. And then also, once you've hired somebody, and sometimes you don't always know this going in, obviously, before you're, you're working together, if you want to make sure that work is being done on a regular basis, on the timeline that's agreed upon, that you're not being billed for work that you're not seeing. I had a client last year who had hired an editor. She said, we had a great rapport on the phone. Everything sounded great. He had an awesome website. He had great testimonials. But he kept billing me, and he wasn't sending me the work. So I really didn't know what he was doing. And so, again, it's like, ooh, Red flag, you know, if you're going to be billed for something, you better be able to see the work that person's done for you. So right. I don't need to go on and on on this topic because I know we're running out of time. But um, but those are really important. And, and just really quickly, when you can kind of apply the same thing to designers, but certainly you want to be able to see some kind of portfolio. Um, if the person is new to book design, for example, then you should be able to see some really great examples of their graphic design work. And they should be able to talk to you about what they know about strategic cover design because there's a lot of strategy and art to it. Um, they really need to be able to talk to you about that. Um, same thing with interior design. They just really should be able to outline on their website what they provide, hopefully have a portfolio, have testimonials. Um, and when you talk to them, they should be able to talk to you about everything they employ as a layout artist. They should be able to talk to you about things you may not even understand. But if someone says, oh, yeah, well, I, you know, I make sure your margins are right and, you know, that kind of thing. No, they need to be able to talk to you about all the technicalities of layout uh, because there are a lot. Um, and they need to right. be able to talk to you about the way they achieve different cover design and how they work with you and why they have a certain strategy for your genre and things like that. So those are some of the things that you want to be looking out for. And, and ultimately, if anything doesn't fit right with you, something just feels funny, Always trust your instinct. Interview other people. Compare. I always encourage prospective clients to compare um, because you really you're going to be working with this person usually for four to six months, and you want to make sure that this person really has your baby, your book, um, your book's best interest at heart, and you're going to be able to have a sense of that through a conversation, through a website, through examples, and all of that. And that's really important for you to make that uh, a really sound decision before you embark on any partnerships. Great, great. That, that's awesome. And we're very near the top of the hour here. In fact, we only have about two minutes left. So what I'd like to do okay. is just very quickly, uh, first of all, Stacey Aronson, thank you so much for being with us today. And what oh I'd like to do is just give you the floor for one minute and tell us uh, how our listeners can get more information from you regarding this topic. Or for those who are on the edge of their seat looking to take this to the next level, how do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as you so beautifully said, I do take authors uh, by the hand, either from raw manuscripts to beautiful book in hand or as a coach in helping develop the manuscripts um, and then all the way to book in hand um, as an editor, cover designer, layout artist, proofreader, and publishing facilitator, and also big-time cheerleader on the side um, for you. Um, so that you can focus on building your platform, um, while I make you shine as an author. So if you want to find out more about me, I have a very robust website, explores all the services I provide, full portfolio, lots of testimonials, um, a question back for prospective uh, client, certainly no obligation, at thebookdoctorisin.com. And it's just like it sounds, those five words, thebookdoctorisin.com. Um, I also have a top ten list for self-publishing authors, the top ten things you need to know to become a self-published author with excellence, and that is at SavvyAuthorMastery.com. There's a free uh, chock full of secret video there for you if you'd like. And again, Savvy, S-A-V-V-Y, AuthorMastery.com. And then uh, you can find me at my blog at TheSelfPublishingScoop.com, TheSelfPublishingScoop.com. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, yeah, this has been a really great interview. I'm so glad you were able to make time for us to join us so we could discover this and learn a little bit more because being self-published is kind of an upward 
scale a little bit. It's a little bit of an upward climb. And there's so many variables out there. There's so many predatory self-publishing companies out there. There's so many different options. There's so many conceptions and misconceptions about how much this really costs and how feasible it really is that it really helps to have someone like you on our side and in our corner to help us sort of sort through some of this and get a handle on it so that we can move forward with it and make things really happen because being a published author is very critical to thought leadership and being perceived as an industry leader when you're an entrepreneur and when you're a business creator. So, Stacey, once again, thank you very much for your time and for your brilliant insights today. Oh, thank you so much, Adam. It was all my pleasure. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.business.com creatorsradioshow.com and also check us out on iTunes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us spread the message and help more business creators just like you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.